0: You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 62 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Electronic signatures save time. Xero and MYOB and some others already facilitate the electronic signing of tax returns. But it would help us a lot if we could take electronic signatures further and beyond just tax returns. For this purpose, I'm keen to understand the legal background of electronic signatures, what is and isn't legally valid when electronically signed. I went to see Christine Ecop and Georgina cirandus of JWS in Sydney to understand the legal framework of electronic signatures. They had written a very good article about this very topic. My first question to Christine and Georgina is, what made you write an article about electronic signatures?
1: It was based on a client instruction to Um, provide advice on whether a transaction would be invalid if it was executed electronically Mm. by one of the parties. Mm. And that was it, just they wanted to know what was the scope, what
2: they could and couldn't do electronically, were there any limitations? Uh, and they also wanted to know on a national basis, mm. because one of the quirky things about Australia is that we've got different states, so how you can validly execute a deed in one state will differ, or can differ, from how you can do it in another state. So
0: Why do we have a Commonwealth Act, and then we have a separate act in each state? Does the um, Commonwealth Act have so many loopholes that... Each state has to desperately try to pluck the holes or
2: how no did come it's around? it's common in a number of areas. So, for example, like there's a Commonwealth Crimes Act and then there's a crimes Act in every state. So you'll find that the Commonwealth legislation applies to, what happens often in the ACT and the Northern Territory, because they are Commonwealth territories, yes. though they can actually have their own legislation as well, and it will apply to the way in which things are conducted, for example, under Commonwealth legislation, you know, within Commonwealth departments, how they work. But within each state it that's where it gets geographic. So if you execute a deed in one particular state and, for example, it's in relation to the sale of land or something like that, and that is also a topic that's governed by the law of the state, then you're going to have to comply with the local requirements. And so they might be set out, you know, in New South Wales might be covered by the Conveyancing Act. So it's quite a complex situation where you've got to look at the state legislation depending on the topic that's been covered because the Commonwealth can what's called cover the field Mm. where it comes within one of the Commonwealth's constitutional areas of power, then that comes out in our constitution. If
0: the Mm. Commonwealth Act contradicts something that's regulated in the State Act, then the Mm. Commonwealth Act always prevails?
2: If it's within the field of Commonwealth power. Oh, okay. So the Commonwealth could, for example, pass some legislation and maybe in theory it could apply to property transactions in New South Wales. But because that's not its within its power, the, it's not going to interfere As with the operation. Unless they can fit it in, it's a, a slightly different topic altogether. Because the Commonwealth would try and extend its field of power through, for example, the corp its power over corporations because it can have power over corporations. So through that, it can get into the states and the way in which corporations can and can't do things within a state. With
0: property, I can see why we have different state legislation because property clearly is in one state or another and Mm. it's very local, so I understand that. Mm. But I don't understand why the Electronic Transaction Act is regulated in each state because electronic transactions – by itself, live somewhere in the ether and are not so tied to the state. So it Mm. really surprises me, and I can imagine it gets very complicated with electronic transactions to work out which state Mm. it applies to.
2: Mm. And, I mean, in some areas there is now cooperation between the states and they'll agree on a uniform law, like, for example, consumer protection law, the Australian consumer law, is mirrored in the relevant act in each state that Schedule 2 will reappear in each state so that it's all, even though there's a number of different pieces of legislation, they all say the same thing. The problem with the electronic transaction suite of legislation is while most of the provisions are the same, they work the same way, it's the exceptions. It's the regulations that are
0: different. Mm. And that looks to me incredibly inefficient lawmaking. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> quite, quite <laughs> yes. probably. And I'm sure that's all to do with, well, you know, historically the states have their power and they're not going to yes.
0: necessarily
2: right it. give it up.
0: So could you tell me what the difference is between electronic and digital signatures?
1: Well, an electronic signature and a digital signature, they're not actually defined in any of the legislation. But broadly, an electronic signature is any method which applies a signature to an electronic message. And a digital signature is simply a type of electronic signature. It's a more secure form of electronic signature because you're using mathematical functions and private key verification schemes in order to ensure that the person that is applying an electronic signature to an electronic document is actually that person. So essentially it's a digital signature is a form of electronic signature.
2: But then and there'll be differences with digital signatures as well because it depends which you know product you're using, which Mm. platform you're using, what level of verification might be required. So you know that while it might be a higher level higher level of security than someone just having their automatic signature that they put at the bottom of an email that they're sending, how secure and verifiable it is will depend on what method you use.
0: And so is a digital signature always an electronic signature, but an electronic signature is not always a digital signature? Yes. And so electronic signatures that are not digital signatures would be
2: PIN numbers online ID it's not a defined term so you probably mm. would find differences of opinion about that as to what would constitute a signature albeit electronic because some of the cases deal with things such as whether the fact that an email will come out as from me mm. is enough to indicate that it's me that's signing mm. or you know does it, do I need to write down the bottom De, you know, kind regards me to mm. to make it a signature, or does it make a difference if I've actually got one of those, you know, electronic scans of my signature that I can just Import. stick into an email. So it means different things to different people, mm. basically.
0: And so this distinction between electronic and digital, does it matter for legal purposes? Well, are we kind of splitting hairs and it yeah, doesn't really have any... Correct,
2: yeah. Mm. It's, it's more a matter of working through what the criteria are
0: mm. to have... Not so much whether we call it electronic yeah. or digital. Mm. Oh, I see. I was very surprised about the first two sentences in your article where it says the law is often one step behind, making it difficult for companies to employ new efficient business practices I thought there was quite a courageous statement. I think there's statement.
2: actually quite a lot of fields where the the legislation lags behind technology because it moves so, so fast and even though the legislators will try to I mean you take for example the copyright act and that tries to deal with what in the old days would have been things that were written or drawn on paper And now all of the electronic possibilities and the way in which they can be disseminated and the Copyright Act, even though they try to draft it in what they call technologically technologically neutral terms, um, it's always going to be difficult to forecast where things will go and come up with language that's suitable. And I think in terms of when you look at the timing of the Electronic Transactions Act, they're all around... 1999-2000 and we're now 2018 and you think about what they were trying to address in those days and what the possibilities were and what the possibilities are now and it's a matter of how often the parliament in all of the states are able to actually address the question of what do we need to do to update this and things just move on quickly and that's the problem. It's then a matter of looking at the language, trying to work out how does it, how, does, how do we fit what we're doing now into language that was used over 10 years ago. And then, of course, when you're looking at some of the older legislation that deals with um, deeds and things like that, it's even older again. And you're trying to look at how much the courts will be prepared to reinterpret the language in a current context and end up with a decision that's favourable to what you want to do, or the extent to which the courts may feel, given all the previous case law and the interpretation, that they just can't push the current interpretation of the legislation out to what you want to achieve.
0: Did the drafters of the different electronic transactions acts, did they do a good job in terms of that they laid good ground rules that we can build on or, or do you feel it's quite outdated and it really should be written again with with more insight into what's possible now?
2: It's In one sense it's a little bit hard to say. The language used can be interpreted broadly. One of the difficulties that we have in advising in this area is that there are very, very few cases mm. that actually address what the provisions mean. So you can take quite a broad approach in terms of how you interpret those provisions. And it may be ultimately that a court would support that and say, yes, we can read the Electronic Transactions Act so broadly that, for example, we can get over the the problems with Section 127 and 129 of the Corporations Act because we'll read definitions broadly, we'll expand it out and we'll make it work. And certainly the, the legislation was drafted with the intention it was meant to facilitate business moving into the area of electronic communications and parties being able to rely on it. So that would be entirely consistent with the intent of the legislation, but in the absence of having some court decisions that actually say, yes, we find that this is what this means, that this particular transaction would be a relevant transaction within the meaning of the uh, legislation, you just have to form a view as to what you think is the correct interpretation. And there is considerable difference of opinion about that amongst practitioners And the difficulty when you're advising a client, we could say, for example, well, there are legal commentators who have said you can rely um, on the Electronic Transactions Act when you're trying to make use of Section 129 of the Corporations Act. And there's, there's good arguments as to why that would work but there's no case in which a judge has said, yes, that's absolutely correct and I'm going to apply that and that is the law, which means you could go ahead and you could do that. You could purport to rely on Section 129, for example. And then if someone challenged the particular transaction and you ended up before a court, maybe the judge would agree, maybe the judge wouldn't. And most clients do not want to be the subject of a groundbreaking case. (laughs) So they would rather know, how How do I avoid that happening? I do not want to be a test case. What should we do? So our advice is based on a more conservative interpretation to say, look, if there's doubt about the ability to rely on this legislation and get the advantage of Section 129, or to just simply execute a document electronically and rely on that, well, in those circumstances, what are the alternatives? Is there an efficient commercial alternative that puts you on safer ground so that you avoid being a test case? Possibly successful, but you (laughs) you just don't know. And
0: and I think that also explains why the uh, case GetUp Limited versus Electoral Commissioner, why that case gets quoted so often. Because when you look at what this case is, is actually about, it's a very minor case. When I read about it, I thought, oh, isn't there something more substantial to make the point? And the answer is probably no. No, and that's why one has to go back to such a, a relatively insignificant case. GetUp Limited versus Electoral Commissioner, I think it was just about a, a lady who wanted to sign on forms.
1: Yeah, it was, and that the commissioner was accepting um, applications via fax. And other means, and it was whether, uh, if it was signed digitally by a digital pen, where the signature looked pixelated and it was difficult to decipher whether that was validly executed. The court found that it was because it had a look at all of the, or well, the three criteria in the Electronic Transactions Act. But essentially, it was valid because in the circumstances, the commissioner was accepting signatures that were faxed. You know, that were in some cases pixelated. There were arguments that there was a higher risk of fraud if it was signed digitally with a pen. But that's the same argument that you could have with a pen and paper signature. So in the end, the court found that it was validly executed, um, based on the circumstances in that particular case and, and the fact that the commissioner was accepting applications that were, were signed in a similar way.
0: What means to sign electronically with a pen?
1: So you might have a stylus or
2: something like that that you can sign with or sometimes you can just use your finger to, that's right. to sign?
1: Oh, okay. If I don't know if you've been to America, but if yeah. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, often right. find that if I'm signing for my credit card, um, I have to use one of those stylo pens and my signature looks nothing like mm. what it looks like on my credit card, but it's accepted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so did she set this up herself? Or? It wasn't what the no, commissioner set up. Yeah, so she set it up herself. She maybe used a an Adobe graphics design program. All, all the, the description that was provided was a digital signature with a mm. stylo. So it and that's it. That. I think
2: the commissioner's um, criticism of it was it was somewhat pixelated and Correct. Yes. therefore it you know, wasn't as clear. Yeah. Um, it wasn't yet, as reliable. Yes. 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 Yeah.
0: So th- this seems to be a very a substantial court case in the world of electronic <laughs> The transactions.
2: Well, yeah. well, it is because at least it's some guidance and the problem in the area really is the lack of guidance.
0: Pins, when I sign at a bank, when I sign on a, on a little electronic pad, that would be an electronic signature. If on a website I sign in a field with my finger or with the mouse, mm. that would be an electronic signature. If an auditor attaches a scanned image of his or her signature onto the audit opinion, that's an electronic signature.
2: Yeah, it's Probably. just there's no strict legal definition. So you can't look at a definition and say, well, that's outside it and that's within it. So, and that's um,
0: why it is so difficult.
2: Yes, and the way that the legislation tries to deal with, again, trying to be technologically neutral, it doesn't focus on well, if you do this, it's going to be sufficient mm. and therefore an electronic signature has to have these elements or a, a signature has to have these elements. It's focusing on those three tests and the tests are tied to what was the particular transaction, what, what were you trying to do at the time. So if you're simply consenting to the terms and conditions on a website when you sign up to a newsletter, that's pretty... Just mm, ticking the box. Tick the box. You know, you, you decide you don't want to get the newsletter anymore, you just unsubscribe. It's not a big deal. Whereas bigger transactions that involve selling property or giving away rights or doing something more significant, you're going to be looking... The bar's going to be a bit higher in terms of satisfying the court, that this was an appropriate methodology to signify the the consent of the relevant person and that they were intending to be bound.
1: So in all Australian jurisdictions under the Act, in order to ensure the validity of an electronic signature, there are three criteria that must be met. So firstly, there must be a method used to identify the person signing, to indicate that that person's intention to be bound by that information. So this criteria would be satisfied if a handwritten signature has been scanned electronically, which is contained within a contract. That would satisfy that criteria because they are showing their intention to be bound by that contract by applying their scanned signature on that document. Another method might be to use a digital signature tool that we're talking about before, digital signatures, that would also satisfy the condition as well as potentially a typed name at the foot of an email, implicitly endorsing the information contained within that email. So that would satisfy that first criteria. The second criteria is a little bit more subjective, and this is where having some further court decisions would definitely assist. Um, But in light of all the circumstances, the method used is as reliable as is appropriate for the purposes of the electronic communication. So the criteria here really relates to the appropriateness of the signature method. um, And there are several factors that a court will take into account. So they'll look at the type of transaction, the sophistication of the communication system, the value and importance of the information in the electronic communication. So what Christine was saying before, maybe terms and conditions of, you know, a, a product that you're purchasing would be very different to now uh, I'm actually dealing with the PEXA and that's real estate transactions and conveyancing online, the system used to electronically sign is very different to just ticking a box because of the type of transaction that it is. Yeah, and lastly, the recipient consents to the method of the electronic communication. So they are approved and are happy to receive an electronic communication that has been electronically signed.
0: The height of the bar is probably very different depending on the type of transaction. So when you are buying something online that is only a few dollars, then identifying you is probably not so important because you just sign whoever you are and and you pay. But when you do a property transaction, then Mm. identifying the person is probably a very
2: different matter. That's right. If you're buying something online by entering in your credit card details, there will be some obviously identification of the the person because the name should match up with the name on your credit card if if you want to work out who's the proprietor of a a piece of land that's clearly another matter again yes
0: entering is uh, entering your credit card details can almost already work like a digital signature because you are you're saying who Mm -hmm. you are and you're saying that you're that you want to buy
2: Well, I mean, the Electronic Transactions Act again. You know, it is drafted in in quite a broad way in each of the states. So, it's it's an electronic transaction, so that covers buying something online, and it's just what method you use to indicate that you are going to be bound by the transaction you're entering into. And yes, entering your credit card details is a very clear indication that, yes, I'm going to be bound because I'm giving my credit card details and I'm authorising the payment. And in a similar way, the person who puts up that payment facility on their website is clearly meeting the last criteria. They're indicating that, yes, we're inviting you to come online and transact with us online and we will accept your credit card as payment and here are our terms and conditions. And as soon as you press "I accept," once you've put in all your details, we have a transaction.
0: Those were the three
2: ground rules. The big hurdles are the exceptions. That's right, and they are different uh, in each state. And the scope, really? yeah, the scope of the exceptions is there's a real question mark question mark about that. Some people have quite a a narrow view of how broadly those exceptions operate and other people have a broader view. There's also another fundamental question as to whether the provisions of the Electronic Transactions Act are attempting to
1: Codify.
2: codify what can be done electronically and what can't or whether... The Act simply facilitates and clarifies that some transactions are definitely valid and enforceable, but it doesn't stop other things potentially being perfectly valid and enforceable.
0: So, is it fair to say that the ground rules are fairly similar from state to state, but yes. that the difference is coming in the exceptions? In the exceptions Correct.
1: Yeah. So in each state and territory, there are different exceptions that apply to the use and validity of electronic signatures under the legislation. So there are we've identified probably five main categories of exceptions that may or may not be applicable in different states and territories. So documents that are required to be witnessed, documents to be personally served, court documents, powers of attorney and wills. So in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and Western Australia, documents that are required to be witnessed cannot be executed validly by electronic signature. This is just under that legislation. As most deeds executed by an individual are required to be witnessed, deeds, it, it could be said that deeds should not be executed electronically in these states if you were taking a conservative view. Mm-hmm. Um, so trust
0: deeds. To set up an superannuation deed it has to be signed and on witnessed. Paper, correct.
2: And, and witnessed on paper. And and the thing to bear in mind is it comes down to whether you regard the Electronic Transactions Acts as simply facilitating certain categories of transaction, but not in any way affecting the common law and how that would mean other transactions would or wouldn't be valid. And and this is where it does get Mm. complicated because we have tried to give people guidance on the basis of if you think you can rely on the Electronic Transactions Act to do this, to execute a deed in this state, then we think there is an issue there. And there's arguments about how the Electronic Transactions Act would be interpreted, but you're on an area where there is argument The second argument is whether even if you put the Electronic Transactions Acts to one side, could you still, just based on the common law, based on the the case law, support the execution of a document through some sort of electronic means and still find that just looking at the cases relying on the common law, a court may still find that it is a valid and enforceable document. So, it's a bit of a minefield area in the sense that there are these areas of uncertainty with very little case law on them, dealing with things such as deeds, which are you know a particular beast that's dealt with in particular ways under different statutes in statutes in different jurisdictions. And therefore, if you like the simple approach, if you want the no test case <laughs> result, Is to simply say, okay, if we can rely on the Electronic Transactions Act, we know we've got that three-tiered test that we go through. If we think we can tick each of those boxes, then we're okay. If you fall within one of the exceptions and therefore that might be an issue, may not be able to rely on the Electronic Transactions Act, then think carefully about whether you want to actually go ahead and do it anyway. So whether it's a deed of company arrangement or it's a trust deed or it's a whatever category of deed it's going to be, if it's a deed, then you have, um, generally depending on the state legislation, a requirement that it be witnessed. But it does differ from state to state.
0: And when you say deed, you don't just mean a trust deed, but you also mean a company deed.
2: A deed is a particular kind of document. So you've got a contract that's a much broader category, Yes, a deed is a particular document and the requirements as to what makes it a deed are dictated by the legislation in the jurisdiction in which you're executing the deed. So a deed needs to be signed, sealed and delivered. That's sort of the old test for what a deed is. And the old um, requirement for a deed also was that, that it was on paper, parchment or vellum or something like that, <laughs> you know, because this is really old law. And so you have these old common law requirements for what is in a deed. To some extent that's been amended by legislation in particular states in Australia, so you might have a state that says, well, in terms of a document being signed, sealed and delivered, if the party's evidence and intention hmm. that the document be delivered, then you don't need a physical delivery in order to perfect that. And I think it's the same with
0: sealed. I think just saying it yeah. is sealed is enough. We don't exact- have to be sealed on that That's anymore. right.
2: Yeah, so you've got this really old common law. It will be amended differently in each state by the relevant legislation in that state. And then uh, if you tick all the boxes, for example, so for a deed, you don't need to have consideration for it to be Mm. enforceable. But for a contract, you do. You do. That's exactly right. If
0: it's informal, for an informal contract, you need consideration. For a formal contract, you don't need consideration. No,
2: for all contracts, you need consideration. So that's one of the requirements for a binding contract, that you have consideration. For a deed, you don't. So it's expressed differently you don't need to have the in consideration of whatever or a payment or anything you just can put in these obligations and then the second thing is a deed may have a longer life than a contract so under the statute of limitations you might be able to rely on a contract for 6 years but i think in new south wales it's 12 years so you've got a longer limitation period that attaches to the document and that may be an advantage if you want a you know that Longer longer term rights that you can yes, rely on. Yes, because a
0: deed I think can go for ninety nine years, and it's quite a long time.
2: It's a it, that's a different thing again in terms of um, the term, perpetuity, and mm. term, and that sort of thing. But yeah, there there are differences to contracts and deeds, and there are reasons why you might want to have a deed. And the most common one is that there's not going to be consideration passing and you want to have enforceable rights, so you put it in the form of a deed. And that's where, because a lot of the provisions, uh, a lot of the regulations in each of the Electronic Transactions Act specify that documents that require required to be witnessed are not covered by the Act, and then normally you'll find under the state legislation that there is a requirement for deeds to be witnessed, Execution of the deed is to be witnessed. That then you've got this doubt. You're trying to put in place a deed because you want that protection, regardless of, for example, the lack of consideration. But if you try and do it electronically, perhaps you could find that in fact your deed is not enforceable.
0: Hmm. So a deed needs to be signed by hand. But then, do I then for it to be valid? Do I always need to have the document with the actual signature? Or is it also enough to present a copy? So my thinking is, could I then manually sign it, but then I scan it and no longer worry about the document? Or do I always need the paper trail for a deed to be
2: to prove validity? That's a huge question. <laughs> In terms of what is necessary to sign the deed, what is required? There's there's quite a bit of debate about that. Um, we think the better view is that you do need a physical document yep. that is actually executed by mm-hmm. the person who is purporting to, to execute the document in the presence of a witness who also executes the document. If you're then talking about what you need, definitely to have the original deed is the best position. In terms of what a court will accept, because generally the reason you might need to produce A document is because you want to sue on it uh, and that generally means going to a court and in terms of what you then need to present in the court will depend on the court rules and I must say in terms of the current state of the uniform evidence laws original of course is always original is always great um, Mm -hmm. because if there's any debate about the validity of a signature and all that sort of thing someone can do that you know forensic examination of the document and that sort of thing What we were focusing on in the article and the whole focus of the Electronic Transactions Act is what creates a binding transaction between the parties, whether it's a contract or it's a some other, you know, communication between the parties, the subscribing to a email list or doing something yes, else. And logging into
0: my phone with a pin doesn't represent such a transaction.
2: Well like, it's it's a way in which the bank identifies you and lets you for, for, what example, it pay, for
0: example for it, Apple pay, Yeah right. that's
2: right so in a sense it's an example of an electronic transaction because you want to do something you want to pay for a product using Apple Pay and therefore it's part of you it's part of the bank verifying that it is you who wants to use money from your account in order to pay for whatever it is that you've selected. So, you getting the verification code and entering that is part of the bank confirming that yes, it's you who's purchasing this.
1: We've now signed up from PEXAS from the 1st of July. Certain uh, real estate documents have to be lodged online so you can't lodge them in person and they have to be signed electronically. The way that we do that is we have select partners that have the authority to sign and they're given a pin and a USB. They have to insert that USB um, and confirm that the pin that they have corresponds with the pin they've electronically inserted. And yeah, so we are using it more and more. And I think With the introduction of Pexa and the mandatory electronic transactions that have to take place, I think you'll see it more. Hmm. What what is Pexa? It's basically an electronic format for property transactions. So, so is it a government agency
0: or is it an electronic digital signature provider?
1: It's run by government body. I and this would just be New South Wales. This is just New South Wales, but every, all states are signing up to the same system. Okay.
0: It's like an online registry or. Something. Correct.
1: So in, in order to, to lodge documents online, you have to sign them. And the way that they do that is through electronic signatures as opposed to handwritten signatures. That are then, documents are then taken up. Usually documents are taken up to a land titles office. They're lodged with the land titles office. It's all, it all has to be done with handwritten signatures. Now we're starting to do electronic transactions. So if you're lodging a caveat, for example, from the 1st of July 2018, you can't lodge that at the land titles office. You have to lodge it electronically through PEXA. And the way to do that is the solicitor acting for the caveator, whoever wants to lodge the caveat, um, they have to sign on that person's behalf and that's through an electronic signature.
2: Certain types of document are specified in the regulations as not being covered by the Electronic Transactions Act Act. But then, interestingly, pieces of legislation Mm. are also specified as exceptions. And in the Commonwealth Electronic Transactions Act, probably the most talked about exception is the Corporations Act is listed in the regulations as a piece of legislation that is an exception. So it's exempt from the operation of the Electronic Transactions Act, the Commonwealth one. So that means as a minimum, that you you can't use the, or arguably you can't use the, the presumptions that you get, the benefits that you get under the Electronic Transactions Act when you're doing something under the Corporations Act. But there is some debate. Different people have taken different positions as to exactly what that means, But we think there is clearly an argument that at the moment you can rely on Section 127 and 129 of the Corporations Act to say when you get a document that's been executed, it's been signed on behalf of the company by someone who's, for example, the director and the secretary of the company and they've executed it pursuant to 127 of the Corporations Act, You can rely on the um, presumption in Section 129 that that is a valid execution and that binds the company. So the concern is because the Corporations Act is one of the exceptions to the Commonwealth Electronic Transactions Act, that that means, oh, but hang on, if it's an electronic execution, you can't rely on Section 127 and 129, get the benefit of Section 129. So if you want to take the conservative approach and be careful, you would say, well, if you really want to rely on Section 127 and have the protection of Section 129, you shouldn't rely on an electronic signature to do that. You should actually get the the hard copy document. Section 127 was introduced into the Corporations Act to make it easier for corporations to execute documents and for people to accept that they had a valid executed document from a corporation. Long, long ago, companies had seals. They would literally have a company seal that you would stamp on a document and that stamping would be witnessed by officers of the company, and that's how you had a clearly binding uh, document executed by the company. Section 127 said you don't need seals anymore. As long as you've got signatures by the company, officers, and you actually say it's, it's executed pursuant to Section 127, you don't need a seal. You can just rely on that to say yes, that document is binding on the company section 127 tells you how to execute so it has to be officers of the company etc section 129 says if it's executed that way if you have followed section 127 you can rely on that as a document that binds the company so that means you don't have to go to for example do an ASIC search to check who are the current directors of the company ask people for ID, do anything else. You just rely on that statutory assumption. Having said that, companies can still bind um, mm. themselves just by executing a document. And you'll commonly see a contract. It will say, this contract was entered into by ABC PTY Limited, signed for on behalf of ABC PTY Limited by Joe Bloggs and then it might say director or general manager or someone who's got some ostensible authority to sign on behalf of a company. And that is probably going to be a perfectly enforceable binding agreement if it meets all the usual requirements about consideration and ostensible authority of the person signing it. So you don't have to rely on Section 127 and Section 129 But you may want to. It may be a significant, important transaction and you want to build in all the protection that you possibly can. And in those circumstances, if it's that big and it's that important, then you might want to think about whether you use an electronic signature when there's an argument that perhaps... You can't rely on Section 127 and 129 if you've used electronic signatures. So it's really a matter of thinking about, for every transaction, what's involved, how big, how important, is this just a you know, business as usual contract, it's not a big drama, you execute the contract just saying signed for and on behalf of, and that's perfectly fine. And it also doesn't undermine all the law about representations that you are bound by Mm -hmm. something because you've got arguments about estoppel and you've also got statutory rights such as Section 18 of Australia's consumer law about representations and people relying on them. So there's lots of bases that you can rely on to say, where someone signs something electronically, you're going to be able to rely on it. It might be using the Electronic Transactions Act, it might be just on basic contract principles, it might be relying on a stopple, it might be relying on a statute like the Australian Consumer Law. You've got a lot of options there. And really, the lesson from our research is really just if it's really important and you really want to rely on section 127 and section 129 or if it's a deed and there is no consideration and you want to rely on it in a certain particular jurisdiction and maybe there's going to be arguments about whether it's enforceable for those sorts of cases really think about Don't whether an it's an electronic signature. well that's that's the the conservative and safe approach there may not be a clear answer so maybe the safer thing is just to go for the traditional paper
0: welcome back i still don't understand why we need seven electronic transaction acts in australia but i leave that to smarter minds in the next episode episode 63 kevin bunger the ceo of class will talk about smsf performance and the productivity commission's recent draft report until then thank you for listening bye for now and see you in the next episode